Cordes Siakam at three, at two. He will spin, rise, fire, and miss. And the Siakam, Covington defends. Dame shows the double. Siakam, tough jumper. It's off. Siakam trying to get the tip in, and that will do it. To attack Rubio, depending on who he's got. Here's Pascal. There he goes, driving. Oh Tons God. of contact. And it, three and a half seconds to go. Lowry finds Pascal. The three. In and out. In. You know, Varel, a few years ago, getting blown out by D. Wade and the Cleveland Cavaliers wouldn't have been such a negative thing. Unfortunately, when it's Dean Wade scoring 16 points off the bench for the 16 and 26 Cleveland Cavaliers to consign you to your eighth consecutive loss, you end up with the current state of the Raptors today. With the trade deadline just three days away, the team apparently healthy, but looking far, far short of their full potential, there is a huge likelihood that this could be the last time you see several Raptors players take to the court. Enjoy tonight's game against Houston because it could be the last time you see the likes of Lowry and Powell and who knows else. But to break down the last week in which we saw another round of L's because I think the Raptors seem to have forgotten the clutch gene, seem to have forgotten how to win. To dissect that with me, it's Varal, the returning champ, of course. Varal, welcome back. Thank you, Camille. This loss streak is getting far too painful. At least in, was it today's game, did he say? It was against Houston or is it tomorrow? Uh, Tonight's game against Houston. Tonight's game against Houston. At least one of the loss streaks in the NBA is going to be broken. I think that's the only positive thing. And if we end up being the ones to snap Houston's losing streak, I think that would be more embarrassing than anything else. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Well, Leo Routens made an interesting point in yesterday's commentary when he said, "Okay, you're gonna when Nick Nurse is gonna tell the guys against Cleveland, for example, you know this is the game you're aiming to win. You know they're on terrible form at the moment, but then you have to look at the flip side of that. Every single one of these losing teams is gonna look in Toronto at exactly the same way, mm, play extra hard, exactly. right? We saw that last night, 116, 105. Colin Sexton, uh, what are your thoughts on him? He scored 36 last night." Um, he was an absolute monster. He had a little argument. He got in uh, some fisticuffs with Norman Powell and Van Vliet at the half and came out in the third quarter and absolutely bossed it um, and just ripped, ripped the Raptors apart, not only from behind the arc, but even driving into the paint. No one could stop him. Um, he's got a lot of potential, of course. This Cavs team in general has a lot of potential. Uh, of course, sitting Andre Drummond, they could get a nice young piece or a pick for Andre Drummond. Uh, their bench isn't bad at all. Uh, as we said, D. Wade, uh, Seddi Osman. Of course, that's not counting the likes of Quinn Cook, Dwayne Dotson, useful pieces in themselves. And of course, that backcourt of Sexton and Garland is pretty useful. Um, I just wanted to get your opinion on the Cavs this season and going forward. Have they done the rebuild the right way, of course, after, of course, a real dark few years post-LeBron? Um, they've almost done the rebuild the right way? Yeah, Um I think you summed it up really well with the Colin Sexton, Darius Garland backcourt. We'll see if Darius Garland is actually a piece they'll look to keep in the long-term future. 
Uh, but certainly, Colin Sexton has to be part of this team's long-term plans. The only thing they really need to look at, maybe uh, before this trade deadline or before this season finishes, is looking to trade Kevin Love. But I think the interesting thing to consider here is that Kevin Love is very content with his contract. And so um, it would probably take the Cavs actually maybe giving up picks in order to trade Kevin Love. Um and so the only way he might actually get out of Cleveland is if he takes the road that Blake Griffin takes and, and decides to get bought out and hence lose out on all that money. And it seems like he doesn't seem to uh, to be too bothered to do that. He's already won his ring with LeBron. And so uh, maybe he's going to be there for the next, um, for the remaining part of his contract. But I think that's the only thing uh, the Cavaliers front office is probably considering at the moment. Well, if only there was a team who needed an elite, versatile big who had a lot of cap space. I can't imagine there is a current <laughs> franchise in the NBA who wants that. But um, yeah, moving on to the actual game itself. Um, it was the first time since February 24th, I believe, that the Raptors have had their full roster back, that no one was on the uh, health and safety protocols list. Unfortunately, despite... It looking pretty good on the box score. Van Vliet with 23, Powell 18, OG 17, Lowry 18. Um, it just ended up as a real disjointed offensive performance. But more worryingly, uh, two factors. One, the bench contributed next to nothing. The top score off the bench was your returning three-time champion, Patrick McCall, with five points. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, there was absolutely no scoring. Um, it was running Again, he was running a 12-man rotation, but there was just nothing absolutely nothing and I know uh, on the commentary again I'm going to ref shout out Leo Routins again he was sort of referencing that Nick Nurse in these games especially when he knows maybe 8th seed is getting away from the Raptors he's going to give fringe players a little run just a few run uh, you know maybe 15 minutes over a few every few games just to show what they can do he's done that with the likes of Paul Watson and Malachi Flynn they haven't proved themselves whatsoever let's see next game he might move on to Watanabe and Bembry or Matt Thomas Terrence Davis so we're going to see if anyone apart from Boucher on this Raptors bench can step up. So that's one factor. Second factor, of course, was that, as we said with Colin Sexton, the Cavs were just allowed to score at will. Um, whether it's their guards in uh, the Sexland um, backcourt, whether it's Jarrett mm-hmm. Allen, 17 and 15, absolutely monstering it. He was uh, yeah. he, went, he went to the charity stripe 11 times. Um, well, sorry, six times, shoot 11 free throws. But even then, it was just just allowed him to score at absolute will. So there was a little run, there was a little moment in the fourth quarter where you thought maybe this is the time the Raptors can snap their streak. They went on a 12-0 run quite late in the fourth, but it was just too little too late in the end and uh, overall pretty much sums up where the Raptors are now. Close, but just not close enough. Yeah, and uh, Camille, this will also this question is also directed towards the jazz game as well as the cavaliers game but what do you think about uh nick nurse's decision to not start either boucher or aaron baines at the five well it's worked and we know the raptors early season form after that two and eight start when they were when their record was over 0500 it definitely worked starting og or Stanley Johnson at the five. And it's something we discussed in preseason. And it's something that has not has also worked in the playoffs as well and in bigger games. It against the Cavs, 
and the Jazz, as you say, against Jarrett Allen and Rudy Gobert, tr- really traditional bigs. It's yeah. extremely, it's it's strange because we've talked about the yeah. usefulness of Aaron Baines in terms of stopping the likes of Joel Embiid from scoring effectively. Why not give him a start? Why not match his minutes with Jarrett Allen? Yeah, he might not be a force on the offensive floor, but a team that is struggling so much for rebounds. I mean, yesterday the rebounds discrepancy, uh, Raptors lost by 17 against the Jazz. Um, they lost by 17 again. Uh, and against Detroit, they lost by 27 in the rebounding department. And that's such a huge factor of this losing streak is they simply cannot grab boards. Aaron Baines yeah. is the top yeah. is the top rebounder in the Raptors this year. That's an indisputable fact. And not giving and, and he gets seven early. minutes. He gets seven minutes against the Jazz. Yeah, seven minutes against the Jazz, and you know you can't really expect him to do much with that. But even yesterday, he grabbed nine rebounds in his fourteen yeah. minutes. He's the top Amazing. rebound in the game once again. So yeah, it's weird. Real offensive as well. Yeah, it's strange not not giving him that run. But I think before we just touch on the Jazz game, we'll go back and uh, the Raptors had a chance to snap the streak against Detroit, um, the Detroit Pistons. Uh, it wasn't so much of a blowout this time as it was in early March, but Jeremy Grant, Dillon Wright, and Josh Jackson all returned, and to be honest, all played extremely well. Jeremy Grant, mm-hmm. uh, you know, looks like a really, really good pickup. I know his contract yeah. was... People were insulting Detroit's front office for signing the likes of him and, of course, Mason Plumley. but they've they've turned up this year. And Clueless. For those fans, I'd say clueless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's none of us, especially if you go back to our elder episodes. Um, yeah, well, but yeah, yeah no. we said how big a part he was for the Nuggets team. I think the Nuggets have missed his presence as well this year. Yeah, exactly. And although they're not going to make the playoffs this year, they've definitely got it going on moving forward. So uh, mm-hmm. at the risk of infuriating some people, I'm pretty happy for Dwayne Casey. Uh, the one thing to note from that game was, of course, Norman Powell, 43 points. is his own personal record. Ironically, he was still a minus 11 on the floor, which is actually quite funny. Um, but 43 yeah. 14 from 18 from the field, eight threes in that game. And his stock is extremely high. Of course, it's something we'll touch on later. But he's in the form of his life right now. Um, Nick Nurse can't afford to bench him. He's almost just shunted him in there at the cost of someone like Boucher or Baines at the minute because he, he can now play them flat, uh, Lowry, Van Vliet and Powell instead of just two of them, which he which he did earlier in the season and last year. So that's a uh, that's an interesting one. And uh, the, I think that game actually represented the last showings of Harry Ellenson, who has not been seen since. I am quite worried for, for him. If you do see him, please do let the podcast know. Um, we, are, we, are, we are concerned. Um, but I think we should, yeah, move on to the Utah Jazz game. Of course, Raul, uh, a lot of our listeners will know that you are an advocate, a fan, an appreciator, an admirer of this Utah Jazz outfit. You have been for a while. Um, yes, sir. I think before we get into the game, they have a phenomenal record. They're looking like they're racing towards that top seed. What's the ceiling for this Jazz team? Are they serial contenders? Or is this all a regular season Atlanta Hawks kind of smokescreen? Oh, oh, how dare you? I'm just asking how- questions. Hey, you made that comparison. For this team at this stage in the season, with all the statistical records they seem to be breaking, I think it's championship or bust. And honestly, if you went into that locker room, if you asked Quinn Schneider, he might well say the same. Um, 
I harped on a lot about the Suns last week and I thought it was very appropriate to do so because like I said last week, it doesn't seem that many media outlets seem to still be taking that team seriously. They haven't received a lot of attention or analysis, whereas uh, especially in the last two to three weeks, the Jazz have been discussed uh, quite avidly, I would say. So uh, maybe I'll spend a little bit less time uh, speaking about the Jazz. I'll throw you a couple of the statistics that other people seem to have been throwing around. It's it's about their three-point shooting. It's the fact that they're not only shooting the most threes in the league. The Jazz are almost shooting more three-pointers than two-pointers, which is ridiculous. I think it's over 40%. And they're also making them at a league-high clip. So it's close to 40% they're making their three-pointers. And a lot of people had questions as to whether they would be able to maintain it at that lofty standard. It's unlikely it's going to be near 40%, but I would be very surprised if it slipped below 37, 36% with the shooters that they have do on that, that they do have on the team and with the spacing that the team has. But if you look at loads of different statistical uh, statistical categories, they're actually in the top three in such a wide range of them, which is so incredibly rare. Even in top teams you've seen in the past, like. Yes, there's been teams that are good on the offensive and defensive ends, but they do seem to have their flaws. Whereas this Jazz team, just in every category range, they're top three. It's absolutely ridiculous. Whether it's, um, you know, opposing three-point percentage, opposing three-point shots attempted, uh, points in the paint, opposing points in the paint. It's just like, across the board, it's just pure efficiency from this team. And... I think the most apt comparison that I've heard is 2014 Spurs with this team, just in terms of the beautiful basketball that they play, the ball movement, this, the efficiency of it is spectacular. I think we can just, we can touch on it maybe in the uh, in the Raptors game as well. But the one highlight that I saw in the Raptors game, which they've been doing all season, is how lethal they are from the pick and roll, especially that Mitchell Gobert pick and roll is is the best pick and roll duo in the league and then nobody even comes close I talked about how limited Gobert was on offense and I thought that would hold the team back but what I failed to appreciate was that he doesn't need to have his back to the basket and you know have a go-to post move because this is 2021 I shouldn't be speaking like Shaquille O'Neal like that's not necessary for a big man to be dominant in his position and when it comes to Gobert you saw it against the Raptors. We said there was no Aaron Baines or Siakam, but he's just un- almost unstoppable when it comes to chucking in the lob in the pick and roll. It, you, there's nothing to be done. It's wise field goal percentage. I think it might be the highest in the league. I'm not sure if that's uh, if that's a fact, but it's certainly near the top of the league. Uh, Gobert's field goal percentage. So they generate so much of their through the pick and roll they I think they utilize it the most out of any team in the league it's above 20% I believe um, so yeah it's really an art watching them use the pick and roll but it, it's their beautiful play comes in every respect uh, on the offensive side and I think I would just recommend everyone watch the game watch their games to see what I'm talking about but on the defensive end um they don't have anyone spectacularly athletic, um, you know, who's going to defend their star player. 
And I've talked about the ceiling of this team in the playoffs with regards to Royce O'Neill, because I've said if he can, you know, somewhat match up to these top players and like LeBron, etc., who's had to guard in previous playoff series, um, I mean that caliber of player, should I say? Whether or not this team could like, you know, clutch up in these in those moments is honestly down to Royce O'Neill, whether he can step up and guard those star players because like I said, yeah, they they are crafty defenders, the likes of Jones, not the fastest, but especially when it comes to team defense, their rotations and everything are spectacular. But obviously on defense, it starts with Rudy Gobert. Because if somebody gets in the paint or gets in the lane, he can practically block any shot. Certainly he can affect any shot that comes in the lane. We saw Van Vliet make a couple of really tough floaters when he got to the paint. He seemed like he was so far ahead of Gobert, but he still had to adjust his shot because his reach is just ridiculous. But yes, on the def- defensive end, it starts with really go bare. And I think the one major worry that Jazz fans will have, I'll, I think, cap it off with uh, just like a maybe negative about this team, um, is that they are perhaps too reliant on their rotation. Because this was a statistic I saw two weeks ago, but I think the team has only had three lineups this season or four lineups. Something stupidly small, Kamel, you'd probably be absolutely shocked hearing that. But they rely on essentially a, let me count this now, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Let's call it, it's predominantly a seven-man rotation with Mitchell, Clarkson, Conley, Bogdanovich, Robert, Gobert, Ingles and O'Neal. But they have seen play, particularly from Derek Favors, uh, playing the backup centre as well. He's been getting more minutes uh, recently but I think so uh, with that being said I think the big negative for this team is say if they lose one of these players I think the biggest losses for these teams aside from Mitchell would actually be Clarkson because he is that spark plug off the bench so I think their bench would be decimated without Clarkson being there he's in the running for six man of the year but also without Gobert I think this team's defense goes from you know, a top three, top five defense to easily out of the top 10 because he is the anchor of that defense. Every defensive scheme that they run revolves around Gobert and um, how, how spectacular he's, his defensive players. So, um, yeah, I would cap off my analysis of this team with that one downer. But in every other res- regard, this team, like I said at the start of this analysis, is, in my opinion, championship or bust. Yeah, I mean, I think you've said that. All that needs to be said. Look, Just take one look at their roster on paper. It's so well-rounded. It's so experienced. It's got absolutely everything uh, from paint scoring to uh, pick-and-roll finesse to um, shooting from behind the arc. And to be honest, it's their strength of their squad is the reason why I was actually very, very encouraged from this Raptors game against them. It was a loss in the end, Mm -hmm. of course, as we Mm -hmm. know, but it was definitely looked like, before the Cavs game, of course, it looked like a step forward because, firstly, they did a good job on Gobert. He only shot five field goals in the end. Even Donovan Mitchell, who scored 31 points, he only went eight from 20. Jordan Clarkson, usually, as you say, their spark plug off the bench, three from 13. 
the Jazz were having a pretty tough time on the offense. And that was mainly down to the... There seemed to be a buzz that had returned when the Raptors were defending. And yeah, definitely. before this game, definitely. I was thinking, this is a game perhaps where the Raptors can win. Because as you say, the Jazz's strength is in how good they are from one to five or one to seven, as you say. And that's quite similar to the Raptors, right? There's no obvious top five in the league, top 10 in the league superstar there. Okay, maybe we can argue mm-hmm. about Gobert. But there's no like obvious spark plug like a Kawhi, LeBron or a Durant. So, you know, you're not big, you're not getting torched by one player. And that I think that's the Raptors' strength and that they match up pretty well against even like an elite team like the Utah Jazz because of the all-round style. Um, and it started pretty well. I mean, at the halftime, there was just a point in it and even going into the fourth quarter, just two in it. And, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, they managed to hold them at arm's length. They had bench scoring from Boucher. They had Siakam really going off. I thought Siakam might struggle against the length of the likes of Gobert and Royce O'Neal. But he played very well. He scored 27 points, 9 of 22 shooting. And more importantly, what we've spoken about before, he got 9 assists. Because you know why? He was driving and kicking. He was driving and dumping and diming, right? He was delivering uh, mm. on the offensive end, but on also on the playmaking end. Um, and all yeah. the starters, I mean, all the starters score were in double digits today. And I was extremely impressed, actually, with OG Ananubi. Not only for his defense, but the fact that he seems to have added so much to an offensive game in such a strange season. If you look at his handles and his mid-range game, his ability to pull mid-range up Mid-range especially, anywhere, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's got it. He's got it. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'll talk, obviously, I keep, I keep teasing this trade talk. We're going to talk about it eventually. But OG mm-hmm. is the kind of guy who you, you potentially you can build your franchise around. Um, of course, if you put scorers around him. He's not he's not Kawhi, we know that. I know people like to compare the two. But mm-hmm. um he's he's probably one of the best uh draft picks, I think. He was picked twenty third in the draft. I mean, and what a result. What a result. And what draft was this come out? Uh twenty seventeen he was picked. Right. Of course he was he's only so low because people thought he was injured. But he came back within a few months and started delivering, of course, and didn't didn't participate too much in the twenty nineteen championship run. But, I mean, last year, of course, we saw his prowess in the playoff series, his, his clutch ability. And so he's definitely definitely a positive going forward. Um, I mean, he's still only 23. Yep. <laughs> I think that's kind of surprising because he has been quite an established player now for two, maybe, yeah, not in his debut season so much, but from then on, he's been quite an established player. So, yeah, we forget that, yeah, 23 is very young. He still has that room to develop, certainly. But the one thing he would need to do to become that franchise player is to be the closer for the Raptors. I don't think, and I think it's very unwise to have your undersized, any of your undersized backcourt duo as your closers, right? You have Van Vliet, he's going to get swarmed, he's going to get blocked, right? He's going to have a tough time in the paint coming to the last, you know, especially the last few minutes of the game when the refs, Mm -hmm. refs tend to swallow their whistle I said wefs tend to swallow their whistle there sorry um, doesn't matter um, so yeah, with yeah. 136 left one. you know Lowry makes a three pointer to make it 110 105 and you're thinking then mm-hmm. regardless of you know the uh, the Jazz's ability to get to the in the line to the line for this game and of course mm-hmm. they got to the line 41 times compared to the Raptors 14 which was the main difference of course you're thinking they can definitely close this out. 
But okay, Donovan Mitchell nails a couple of free throws, makes it a three-point game. He then makes an and one and completely ties the game up. And on the other end, you keep looking at it. Siakam misses a 13-foot jumper. Lowry misses a 22-foot jump shot. Van Vliet then misses a three-point jumper. And you're thinking, which one of those three are you going to trust in whether it's come playoff time or just in games like these to make it? And it doesn't seem like you can go to someone at the minute like the Raptors went to Kawhi in that season, Mm. right? Or even DeRozan in previous seasons. They used to go all the time. I remember it was DeRozan. It wasn't Lowry necessarily, right? Mm -hmm. And DeRozan would somehow conjure up a play because of his size and his strength in that aspect that someone like Van Vliet doesn't have. So it's one thing he would need to add to this game because, of course, at the end, of course, uh, I don't know if you caught the very last highlight, but it was a great inbound pass from Lowry. And it was actually very similar to uh, that game three against Boston last year when Siakam, or in that case it was OG, in this case it was Siakam, found himself completely open and uh, with a potential buzzer beat to three to tie up the game. And he's had four buzzer beater opportunities this season every single one of them has missed but more importantly every single one of them has come so so close has gone in and out of the basket has Mm. had a couple of bounces on either rim and it's been so unfortunate but I think it shows that there isn't a clutch gene in this franchise at the minute and I don't know do you think it develops in players do you think it's naturally there for example, do you think, for example, in a Zion, he's already there. He's already got it, right? LeBron, we know LeBron already had it. He was a guy to go to even his younger days. So what do you do with this? Do you have to find new players or can you put it in the players you already have almost? Hmm. Um, I think there's, for me, there's two separate points. It's having a go-to guy, which certainly is a thing in the clutch. Yeah, I, I agree with that sentiment. I think... Uh, Van Vliet is actually, you saw when he came back to the team, he was the, he's the one player that they have who can actually get past his man and drive to the paint fairly consistently with the ball in his hands, which opened up the offense. But like you said, in crunch time, he's just too small. And when he's getting double team, and like you said, when it gets a little bit more physical, it becomes very difficult for him at that point. Um, we did see OG, didn't we, make a um, buzzer beater? Was it this season? Um, I think it was from three, and I do, all I remember is he was very unemotional in his celebration afterwards. I think that, that's, that's the like, one I referenced against Boston in the playoffs. Right, right, sorry. Basically to save the season, yeah. about. It was Very Boston, similar to yeah, the yeah. Siakam play right at the end, the cross-court inbound pass. Uh, but he nailed it. And uh, Siakam yeah, I think the only thing Boston can nail is if they gave, if he just gets the premier role in the offense, which... Is, hasn't happened yet, but yeah, maybe next season it's something they look to do. Who knows? Yeah, but you you can't you can't you're not going to trust. We know he's improved his handles and his skill set, but you can't imagine at the minute OG bringing the ball up with ten seconds to go and like taking a pull up against the their best defender, can you? No, definitely or, not. Or driving and whipping it out. So there needs to be there needs to be someone there, and there's just not at the minute. It's just it's so it's such an important skill in these close regular season games and playoffs, of course. But there's no one left. So should we perhaps transition it into uh, the trade talks? Because potentially we could find a player that does solve that issue. 
the yeah, of course. Well, there's strong rumors, uh, you know, telling ESPN, telling the Athletic that Lowry and Norman Powell, at least one of them, are to be moved on uh, by this Thursday's trade deadline. Uh, the rumors are for Lowry, at least, that the Raptors either want Duncan Robinson or Tyler Harrow. Uh, of course, two players who you would trust uh, from behind the arc in clutch time. Uh, for Norman Powell, it could be. Any sort of trade with the Philadelphia 76ers, we could see Seth Curry going the other way, maybe Danny Green. Um, there's even some talk of Tobias Harris, but I think that would be a stretch too far. But it's time, I think, and I'm just speaking editorially here, time to sell high on these guys because, as we said last episode, yeah. they deserve it. They deserve to go ring chasing at the minute. This Raptors team, eight losses in a row, they've shown they ain't going to compete this season, even if they scrape in. It's probably going to be a first-round dumping at the hands of Philadelphia. Uh, they can get their revenge for 2019. And it's, it's just it's just not it at the moment. It's just not working. The whole roster, the lack, the lack of a serviceable, serviceable big has finally caught up to them. They managed to ride it out a little bit with Stanley Johnson and Noji at the five. But against teams like the Jazz, as we say, you know, even, even, even the Cavs, you need someone who can go, who can match up with elite bigs like Jarrett Allen and Rudy Gobert. So mm. it's a toughie. So that's come to catch up with them. So what do you think maybe a good return would be for, for Lowry and Norm? Should they be traded to the Heat and the 76ers respectively? When it comes to Powell, I was actually struggling to find out who he was rumoured with exactly. It just seems to be the case that there are just teams interested. Um... I think we discussed uh, the potential Lowry trade in a previous episode, and I talked about whether this team wants current young players or whether it wants draft picks, because those are two very different things in the landscape in the uh, landscape of the team. Um, because like a player like Duncan Robinson, Tyler Harrow, they would maybe expect an extension. Um, Tyler Harrow, I think they were both in the same draft when they came out, so maybe both in like two, three years' time, but especially Tyler Harrow would be expecting quite a hefty extension and so that's going to eat up at the cap of this team and I, who knows will Tyler Harrow turn into like a franchise player for us um, I would potentially be happier with Duncan Robertson as ridiculous as that sounds just because he can pretty much fit in any team that the Raptors wants going forward whereas Harrow would probably more so need the team to revolve around him and uh, would he would uh, Tyler Harrow with his current development would he be worth say a 20-25 million contract who knows uh, we'll have to wait and see I think he's a fantastic young player though um, but if the Heat were to trade him then you have to ask yourself the question or if the Heat are willing to trade him you have to ask yourself the question why are they willing to trade him? If he is such a stud for this team for the future, why on earth would they be willing to trade him? And that I think it's very unlikely that they do actually pull the trigger. Duncan Robinson's a possibility for the Heat, but um, given that the point guard position for them also, I don't know why. We're also, maybe you can answer this question for me now. Why we're so heavily linked with the Heat with that Lowry trade? Because it seems to me that the point guard position isn't their biggest need at the moment. I mean, it's they true. have Dragic and none, so I'm not it's sure where, why this. It's more where Lowry wants to go. Um, it would either be okay. Philly or the Heat. Um, he, I think he, 
there's rumors he appreciates the culture at the Heat, um, the coaching there, and he's, of course he's got a great friendship with Jimmy Butler. So there's rumors, you know, okay, he'd I didn't know happily, that. you know, he'd happily spend because remember it's only half a season for Lowry, right? Uh, that's his mm. contract up, so he's, he'll probably happily spend half a season there and and make it's it. a holiday. Yeah, basically, it's a free hit for for, for Mr. Lowry. Miami, yeah. But yeah, I think Philadelphia definitely looks like a better fit for him. And I think if he were to be traded, we would definitely do an episode either next week or within the foreseeable future, looking at the legacy maybe of Carl Lowry. We probably wouldn't leave that to the end of the season. I think that would be too late. So I think that would be such an awesome episode uh, if we're able to do that. But yeah, honestly, I kind of hope that it happens for him because it would be awesome to see him go to the 76ers and potentially help them win a championship. So uh, I'd actually love to see the trade happen. Powell, I'd be less happy about. I don't know if you'd be happy to see Powell go, Camille. He fits perfectly with the timeline of this Raptors team, right? He, exactly. With Van Lee and Ananobi and Siakam. And if they can stay together, those four stay together, they can really build it. The problem, of course, with the Raptors this season has been course that's part from the big has been depth of course right apart from boucher no bench scoring at all and and really really ineffective depth especially compared to usual and the raptors culture is usually you know the you know how, how did this current team come to be it was van vliet og powell and siakam playing second fiddle to lowry DeRozan, valentunis Kawhi. you know but mm-hmm. though the this second unit hasn't developed as expected so you also need depth in there. So if you can get a couple of depth pieces, you know, maybe a Seth Curry, maybe a Qualcomm a Thibault was um, was also tipped. Uh, if you can get a couple of pieces, I, I eventually pull the trigger, but I think he, he should not be traded with such um, ease because of his timeline. He's not a vet. He's not a vet like Lowry. He's a, he's a guy who can stay here for another five, ten years. Yeah, and he's also got a very underpriced contract at the moment. So it ends just... at the end of the season, so you don't want to don't want to lose it. Maybe you want to cash out on him now instead of risking losing. Yeah, him. yeah, fair enough. Abaka. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's difficult. It's depressing as well. And of course, we'll uh, we'll do a bigger trade episode next week after the trade deadline, and we're gonna assume at least one of those two are going, which is a sad thought in itself. But um, the only thing is, you can enjoy it while you can. Um, around the league, though, uh, there's been two key injuries. Um, Lamelo and LeBron. Uh, how crucial are they, Burrell? What are the implications, not only for Toronto, I guess, but just you know for the whole for the whole league, you know, especially the LeBron injury, more crucial perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll very quickly discuss this. Um, we are getting on with time with the LeBron injury. Um, the food for thought I'll leave to the listeners. We have no idea at the moment, this moment, uh, how long the injury timeline is, but it's. At the moment, it's said to be indefinite. Uh, but as I posted on our Facebook page, um, if you don't follow it already, guys, it's Boarding on the Six on Facebook. Join the group. Some fantastic memes are being deployed on the page. But um, I did mention the fact that at this very point in time, the Denver Nuggets and the Portland Trailblazers aren't a million miles away from the Clippers and the Lakers in who are currently sitting in the third and fourth seeds. And there's actually, in my opinion, a very real possibility with how the Clippers have been struggling in the past 10 to 15 games and 
with this LeBron injury and also, of course, Anthony Davis is out at the moment as well. There's a possibility that one of those teams, uh, either Denver or Portland, has a run and makes it to the third seed, which would then mean that we would see a Lakers-Clippers series in the first round, which is absolutely mind-blowing what a series that would be. So I'm fingers crossed for that purely just because that's an absolute debacle. You just would never have predicted that at the start of the season. So that's why I'd love to see it. Uh, not for LeBron's sake, because that would potentially make his path to the finals the most difficult path um, in NBA history if they have the Clippers in the first round. But I think for all of us neutrals, that'd be awesome to see. But yeah, obviously, uh, just to caveat that with I hope LeBron does come back sooner rather than later. Thanks. You don't want to be at the uh, at the mercy of where Mickey, of course, uh, if he ever finds this podcast somehow. Uh, <laughs> well, I think we will wrap it up there, though. Uh, it's been an honour to record the last episode with you where Kyle Larry is a member of the Toronto Raptors. Um, of course, we only started, well, I only started following it just uh, five, six years ago. So it's 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 all I've known. It's all I've known. It hasn't filled its way since Arsene Wayne. Carl the Raptors. Yeah. You, know, you uh, can name a better match. He's Toronto through and through. So um, let's hope that Houston, the Houston game tonight isn't the one where Masai Ujiri watches and the Raptors lose and he decides, okay, this whole project needs to go into fade for Cade mode. Uh, of course, Cade Cunningham, uh, very patchy performance uh, in March Madness last time out. But that's, that's, of course, something for another time. But all we can do is sit and wait for this Raptors team to finally get a dub. Varel, we'll see you next time. Catch you all.